Street Photography Magazine podcast, episode number 74, Don't Edit While Shooting with Kevin Fletcher. Hello again, this is Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine, back with another edition of the Street Photography Magazine podcast. But before we get started, I want to remind you that this podcast is presented by Street Photography Magazine. And if you have any interest in street or documentary photography, then you really need to check out Street Photography Magazine. Each month, we publish a carefully curated selection of feature stories, photo projects, tutorials, and our ever-popular Street Shooters of the Month section, which features street photos by members of the street photography community, people just like you. It's the ideal place to see fresh work from creative photographers from around the world. But don't believe me, you can check out a free issue just by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash free. When you ask Kevin Fletcher of Portland, Oregon what he does, he'll tell you that he's an image maker. And that's certainly true. But like any good elevator speech, there's so much more to it. Professionally, he's an independent director of photography who does commercial work around the world, most recently with Netflix. And he's working towards doing more narrative work, like short films. As a visual artist, though, he is a damn fine street photographer who applies the rigorous skills of filmmaking to his still photography. Earlier this year, Kevin completed a personal project titled Avenue of Roses, which is about 82nd Avenue, an urban street in Portland. The project won the Lens Culture 2020 and Street no Photography Series Award against some very tough competition. And that's no small feat. We included some of the images from the no series in the podcast article on our website. That's no small During our discussion, Kevin tells us about his motivation for creating the project and how his cinematography experience influences his street photography style. In the process... He gives us insight as to how filmmakers think through composing and lighting scenes and how those skills apply to photographing in the moment on the street. One thought that really stuck with me is that Kevin says not to make editing decisions while shooting. Basically, do only one thing at a time. When you're making images, don't think about which you'll keep or which you'll discard later. Just keep shooting and focus only on the scene. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Well, today I'm with Kevin Fletcher. Kevin is, he's an image maker. He's um, freelance. He's self-employed. Uh, he says he never had a real job. He's also a filmmaker. And uh, he was the winner of the Lens Culture Series Award, a Street Photography Series Award recently. Did some beautiful work. And we're going to talk about that and the experience of submitting to classy contests like Lens Culture. So, Kevin, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Kevin, I was introduced to Kevin by Gina Williams, who, by the way, is going to be writing a featured article about him for our October issue. 2020, so you'll learn more about them then. In the meantime, we're just going to shoot the breeze 
about photography, street photography, and Kevin's background. So, Kevin, speaking of your background, why don't we start off with you telling us how you got into photography, how you got interested in street photography, a little bit of your journey. Great. Uh, again, thanks for having me. I'm, ex- I'm excited. This is fun for me to talk about image making. Um, so I, I started, really, my dad had a camera around his neck the whole time. He was uh, constantly photographing us as a family, family vacations. Um, and, he, and he was an amateur uh, landscape photographer, particularly mountains and whatnot. We, we lived in Colorado. And so that's really where it started. I just was always fiddling around with his camera. In eighth grade, I decided to be the, uh, the middle school yearbook photographer. So my dad helped me buy a Nikon EM, had a 50 millimeter lens on it, a lens I still have to this day. And, um, and I started shooting photographs in eighth grade. Um, it dropped off a little bit in high school. Uh, I then went off to college, got interested in film. And then that's when the, that's when I really, really fell in love with, with what I'm doing now, which is again, making images. So when you work in film, what kind of things do you do? My primary career, my job thus far has been focused in the commercial world. Um, and I, I, I love it. I mean, I get to work with all kinds of different um, camera techniques, very stylized kind of shooting. Um, most recently, I've been doing a lot of work for, for Netflix and um, traveling around the world, shooting promotional content for their shows. Um, and a lot of that's on my website. You can see that if you want. And, um, and it's great. But also, I'm moving more and more towards narrative work, short films, independent features, and that's that's a big push for me right now. I'm really, really, really excited about that, which really ties into, I think, what I'm doing in in my still photography life. And how long have you been doing street photography? Well, since I picked up a camera, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's a big conversation of like, what is street photography? But I think a lot of photographers start by just wandering around. And I think that sort of gets to the core of a lot of what street photography is. And, um, so as soon as I got a camera, I think I became a street photographer in some sense. And then over time, I've just moved it in different directions, either with more focus or, or just wandering around. And in fact, when I, uh, for my cinema job, my job as a director of photography, I travel all over the United States, really all over the world. And oftentimes I'll stay in a location for an extra few days after we're done with the shoot. And, and I, and I shoot. I travel around. I've done this in London, Romania, all over the United States, Canada, Central and South America, Asia. And I just stay and I spend a few days wandering around cities or wherever I am and I take photographs. Yeah, that's a lot healthier pastime than sitting around the hotel bar for hours at a time, isn't it? Exactly. And you get to know a place. You get some some sense of it. how people react to you, to cameras, you, you, you meet people. It's just, it's a wonderful way to, to interact with the world, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't travel much on business anymore, but uh, when I used to, I, I did the same thing. Just, when I was done with work, I'd be out on the streets photographing. 
Yeah. And even if you don't take many photographs, you, you're just kind of in a, you know, you're very, it's very intuitive and you're, you're paying attention. Uh, I feel like I'm hearing more, hearing more, seeing more, um, all, all those things come alive. So you entered a contest with uh, Lens Culture a while ago, and you won with the <laughs> series called uh, Avenue of the Roses, right? Yeah, Avenue of Roses, right? Avenue That's of the... Roses. Yeah. So now what is Avenue of Roses? The Avenue of Roses is a street in Portland, Oregon. It's actually called 82nd Avenue of Roses. And um, lo locals call it 82nd Avenue um, or 82nd Ave. It's the eastern, it's a road on the eastern edge of the city. Well, what used to be the edge of the city, and it's now encompassed by the city. The city's growing all around it. Um, if you go look at historical photographs in the 1930s, it was, had no side sidewalks. There were farms. It was the rural outer edge. And, and now it's just a, you know, highly trafficked, compressed place. Interestingly, it's runs through the city. And it's a city street, but it's actually owned by the Oregon state government. So it's as a highway. Um, and there's some conflict of who maintains it and who runs it between the city, between the city and the state. And that's, that's just one of the many aspects of the, of the tension there. Um, it's like five of the most um, accident prone intersections in the city are on 82nd Avenue, for example. So what makes it so unique that you wanted to do a photo story about it? Well, first of all, when you talk to Portlanders, Portlanders about it and you say 82nd Ave or <laughs> everybody has a strong emotional, uh, they, they, they react to it in an interesting way. A lot, a lot of people are like, oh, I hate 82nd Ave. You know, it, it's like it's congested. It's loud. It's not, it's not exactly a pretty place. There's lots of used car lots for years. It had lots of problems with with crime, prostitution, um, you know, it's just, it just elicits this kind of emotional response. Some, some people look at it like uh, they feel, I think they feel some, like it's the new shiny progressive Portland is, has wiped out all the old grittier, mossier <laughs> Portland <laughs> that a lot of people love and miss. And some of the remnants of that older Portland are on 82nd Avenue and they're in it, but it's being, quickly changed, um, big box doors going in, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's just a place with a lot of, a lot going on. Also, Portland is not a very culturally or racially diverse city, but 82nd Avenue has a lot of diversity. So it's, it's got that aspect that would make, which makes it interesting. Um, and, and it's, um, a lot of people talk about it as a, you know, I did a lot of reading about it, uh, um, and research as I was working on it. Um, a lot of people consider it a socio-political line um, where the, the Portland proper is getting a lot of the benefits of um, tax credits, green spaces, bike lanes, and then 82nd Avenue acts as a line um, that divides the people that are getting things in the city and the people that may not be getting things uh, on the outer edges of the city. Um, that line keeps moving farther and farther, but for a long time, 82nd Avenue was, was considered this line. I think it's a great series. And oh, the one you. that I keep, the photo I keep coming back to, I think is it's the opening one in the series, at least it is on the Lens Culture site. And it's the motel mm. in the fog with the stop sign in the upper left-hand corner. 
I don't know why I just keep getting drawn back to that, that photograph. It goes up from there. I mean, is this a series you worked on for a long period of time? Yeah, I spent, uh, I worked on it for a year. So I, yeah, I started in um, January of 2019. My last shoot was in January of 2020. Uh, I had told myself I would work on it for a year and, and then just see, see what happened. Um, it just so turned out that work, my work work got real busy at the beginning of this year. Um, and I was traveling all over the place. I wouldn't have had much time to shoot there anyways. And then COVID hit, um, everything <laughs> shut down and I had time to go back and start to look at what I had been, what I had done for a year. Um, a lot of it, I, I had a kind of an idea of what had I had compiled, but I hadn't really had time to sit down and go through it. I mean, there, there's a lot of work. And so um, I started to narrow it down. And so that was one of the silver linings of COVID is the, the time I had to work on this. Um, and that photograph you mentioned in particular, I had photographed in that area a number of times, but that morning I knew when I took that photograph that I had something special. It's funny. I discovered... I won't go into that right now, but I discovered some shots, photos I took in the fog on the, along the beach in California several years ago, like seven, eight years ago. I'd forgotten about them. I started looking at them like, oh, wow, why did I forget about these? <laughs> and so I've been enamored with fog ever since. This morning I woke up and it was foggy. Didn't even want to get out of bed, cause, you know, just wanted to sleep in or whatever. But I looked out and I saw the fog and I jumped up, got dressed grabbed my camera and went out and just started shooting, hoping I could. And I, and I ha actually had this photo of yours in my mind when I saw the fog this morning, I said, oh. gee, if I can grab something one-tenth as good as that, oh. I'll be happy. I didn't, but what the heck, it was a nice walk. <laughs> oh, that's part, that's part of it. Just getting out and being in the world. Isn't that, I, I just love it. I love it so much meeting people and Yeah. Uh, so, well, one of the, I mean, thank you very much. I've, I, I'm glad you like that photograph. I, I, I really like it too. It, again, I'd photographed in that area many times, walked through there. Um, and, you know, there are a couple of corners close to that same motel that are, that are interesting. And, and some, some intuitive voice was telling me to, to keep returning there. Um, as per fog, um, yeah, fog is, is a very powerful, um, has a very powerful emotional tonality to it, I mm -hmm. think. And, um, this also ties back to my, to my image making as a, as a filmmaker, because on film sets, we can create fog, you know, you can create fog, you know, we do it in <laughs> forests, true. we, we do it on set, we do it in houses. So it's something I'm very used to being able to, to work with and, and I, I kind of just have an understanding of it now. So, so, I, so I like it and I, I would look for weather reports with fog and really hope that I would a be in town. Uh, and then, and then I would just, I would get up early if, if I thought I was going to get a foggy morning and happen to happen to pay off in that particular photograph. The other thing I think is so interesting about that photograph, which also ties a little bit back to the cinema world is there are, there are three or four shots that I took, um, 
that one, obviously, I think being the best. But the reason it's the best, I think, is because there's a slight hill in the deep background. And as I was shooting, and I, I didn't even realize it until it happened, a car, mm-hmm. and there wasn't much traffic. It was very, a car is rising in the background, and the headlights backlight the silhouetted figure. Yeah. And, you know, go, go, look, at, um, go look at Roger Deakins, uh, one of the great living cinematographers right now. And, and this happens in cinema all the time, a, a deep backlight for a silhouetted figure in a foggy environment. So, so, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't happening in a vacuum. I, I knew, I knew to hit the shutter right when that figure was backlit and it worked out perfectly. That's when I knew that because it, it had that not happened, it would still would have been a very good photograph, but I think it went to a, another level because of that car. It's just amazing how that happens. Yeah. I know, especially since I'd been to that corner many times. Um, and there are other good photographs of that area, but nothing like that one. You know, because you're so familiar with it, do you find yourself maybe ignoring things or not thinking that they're valuable subjects because you know it so well? I know I find myself thinking that, oh, I've been here a hundred times. I've taken 200 photos of this. What's another one? Hmm. You know, when I started this, the Avenue of Roses project, I made this very, I don't know if this answers your question, but I made this very conscious decision that I wasn't going to edit while I was shooting. Um, I wasn't going to say this is, I like this is, this is good. This is bad. Don't do that. I, I decided to try to have a clean slate. And if, if my internal voice was saying, there's something attractive here, you should shoot this i just shot it and i didn't i just didn't put any rules on myself like that and i tried to keep those the voices like oh you've done this or oh you've been here i tried to keep those at bay and over time what 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 ended up happening is at the beginning of the project i shot way too much and then i started started to hone that voice in and photographs got better and better and i got more efficient if that makes sense yeah it makes a lot of sense I think that the the internal voices that happen when you're out walking around and, and photographing are are very powerful. You you have to kind of get a meta level on them, realize that they're they're your own voices, that you're writing the narrative, and that you really have to pay attention to them to let them help you help guide you and, and not inhibit you when you're shooting. Because they can. You can say, oh, I'm bored, I've been shooting too long. Uh, uh, the lights, the light's not good. And you can talk yourself out of things. And and so I really try to pay attention to that and say, oh, well, if the light's not good here, maybe it's good somewhere else or foggy days. Well, what kind of story is that? You know, because the light can be very flat. In fact, one of my favorite, favorite photographs ended up on a, on a really flat gray day. And I think it would not have been as, as strong a photograph had it, had it been on a sunny day. And that's the, if that's actually in the lens culture series, that's the empty chair with the with the boots by the campfire and the fact that that's just a gray flat day makes that a very painterly powerful photograph i think yeah it does and it makes the chair stand out yeah exactly and this a sunny day would have been contrasty mm-hmm. there would have been shadows i think it would have would have been harder to pick out the black shoes all kinds of things 
also think that think that speaks to port the Portland weather in in the winters. I mean, that's that's what we get all winter long. I mean, we talked about this a little earlier. You know, I come from a very cloudy place, and I I've been here for two years in Virginia, where it's sunny all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have a real hard time dealing with bright sunlight because I'm so used to the to cloudy weather, sort of overcast. Yeah, uh, lights. <laughs> I mean, lights everything when you're talking about photography. So again, I, I I'm always looking for the like the emotional sensibility of it. I, I don't. I'm trying to think if the the ten photos I submitted to Lens Culture, if I had any sunny photographs. I don't think so. But the series itself has a number of photographs that are taken in in full sun. It has cloudy days. Has rain. Has you know? I really I. I was conscious of the idea that if I was going to photograph the street, I, I was also photographing not only the street, but Portland and Portland's weather. And I was trying to encompass everything as I was shooting. But how do you photograph weather? That's an interesting thing. But light is one of the ways you do it. Now, why did you do this? Was it on purpose to submit to this contest or is it just something that you had to do? Ah, that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I f- feel so, mm, I don't know the word, blessed, honored to have the career I have as an image maker. I mean, I, I've gotten to travel all over the world. I've gotten, I mean, it's been incredible. I, but I feel like I, I still need to grow and learn. And um, I love my commercial career, but I want to be doing more narrative work. I want to be doing work that has a greater emotional sensibility to it. Um, and, and so in order to do that, I need to do that kind of work. And, um, and one of the ways for me to do that was to take on a project myself. Um, I love still photography. And so I started thinking of things that I could do on my own. Um, also, um, I was feeling some, I don't know where it was coming from, but I was feeling some lack of um, in-touchness. <laughs> that's a word. That's not really a word. It is now. I like it. Yeah, I, I had a I had a lack of in-touchness. <laughs> there you go. Now it's definitely a word. Uh, see, see, I'm 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 not a word person. I'm an image maker. So now now I'm just make up words to fit what I need. Um, uh, so I I felt the need to reach out to the city instead of just saying, Oh, Oh, the city's grown too much. I'm, I, I, I feel separate from it. I, I feel distanced from other people. I, I, I decided I'm, I'm going to do something that allows me to go into the city, into places that I don't, don't normally go probably meet people. I don't normally meet. And, and so there, I was, I was very, I really needed to get out and get a sense of what other people were experiencing. Um, and I think that's, I don't think I was in a vacuum that way. I think a lot of people in the country are feeling that way. I don't care what mm-hmm. side of the political political line you're on. I think a lot of people want to be making bridges to other people, and I, and that was a big part of it for me. So, um, also, 82nd is I, I live pretty close to 82nd Avenue. So, so and I and I just had this um, again sensibility about it that it was an interesting place that it that it. Um, represented Portland, but also when I travel, I feel like there's an 82nd Avenue in almost every city I visit. There's a place where it, it was one thing once a long time ago, and then the city's changed and, you know, it's trying to, comp- 
trying to meet up with the new needs of of more traffic of uh, you know old infrastructure, older businesses now next to new businesses, public transportation. So, anyways, it, it, it just had a lot of interesting things about it that I was attracted to. Yeah, it's funny when you were describing 82nd Avenue, it brought to mind a, a street in Cleveland that seems oh. very similar, called Brook Park Road, goes past the airport, and and it's been a main road for years and years. And just like you said, the city's grown up around it, beyond it. It's pretty, uh, pretty crusty. Yeah, exactly. And in, that's really interesting you say that because. I wonder how many, oh, I got because uh, 82nd Avenue uh, used to be, you know, it's one of the ways you would get to the airport. So these used, you know, when cities were younger, these were the, the ways to get to the airport and now cities have expanded. So yeah, interesting. And hence some of the, like that photograph you mentioned earlier of the, the foggy morning, you know, there's like a lot of old hotel motels that, that are out there that still exist. Yeah. The same arc, same architecture. A lot of used car lots, um, and some of these now are being pushed farther out. Eighty Second Avenue won't be in twenty or thirty years. Won't be what I photographed, and I was highly aware of that. It's changing rapidly. Well, this will be the second show in a row I mentioned this guy for a different reason. Uh, Stephen McLaren. He's um, lives in the L.A. area. And he, I interviewed him because he wrote a book about uh, street photography among Magnum photographers. But he does a lot of really good work himself. And he did a series similar to yours on a street near L.A. by the airport. And in fact, I had just been on that street a couple months before I talked to him. He, I forget the name of it. But if you, if you fly into L.A. and you rent a car, you're going to be on this street. Which I do. Well, I do all the time. I work in LA all the time. So, oh, I'm very, fa I'm very fascinated by this. Oh my goodness! I'll give you a link to his website. Okay. And uh, matter of fact, I'll just include it in the article since we're talking about it. But Beautiful. you ought to see. I mean, he's got a completely different style and everything, but it's really good. Interesting. That's a, that's a that's a great challenge for any photographer, I think, to to pick a particular street in their in their community and and record it while it's still there. I think it's also, easy, you know, we talked about it earlier, you land in a new, new place and it's very stimulating, like in any new city or particularly in, when you're in a different country. And it's, it's really easy to have your senses firing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to take, take on something that I knew pretty well and say, can I get my senses firing and look at a place that I see every day and see it in a new way? And it took a little while as I, and it took me a while to, because <laughs> it was hard to not look at it like I've always looked at it. So before you submitted these, did you have somebody help you make the choices or did you do that solely on your own? Uh, I, my uh, co college age daughter helped me mm -hmm. and, um, and I sent it out to some cinematographer friends who were extremely helpful and extremely honest with me. I'd have to say that's the one thing. If you're going to have somebody help you just honesty from other people can be, it can be hard to hear, but it's incredibly important to have somebody tell you what they really think about the work. And um, so, I, yeah, I had some friends help, 
but I'm still looking, I'm always looking for that, that person to help me because I think you get lost. I personally, I don't know about other photographers, but I get lost in the work and I get emotionally attached to images that I then later realize I, I, I didn't need to be there, not advancing the series. And so yeah, finding that person's important. So did you have many photos that you wanted to include, but then put aside based on input? And then on the other hand, have did you add photos that you didn't think you were going to use based on their input? Hmm, great question. Uh, yeah, I think um, I, I think I have about this series, I think has about, to be honest, I think it has anywhere from 60 to 90 images hmm. that make a complete series. Um, I would like, I mean, it would be great to do a, a book if that happens, but I, I mean, again, I'm just so pleased and overwhelmed with, 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 with what's happening as it is through lens culture and um, street photography magazine, et cetera. So this is exciting. Um, but yes, uh, I pulled in particular one image that I thought would be strong for the lens culture series <laughs> with input from my daughter. And I think she, and I think it was, and I think it was right, but there could have been many, again, there, there, uh, there's uh, many images. So it could have been any combination of, of, of 10 images. Yeah. It's tough narrowing it down to only 10. It's so tough. I, it's so tough. And in, and in fact, the, the motel image, I, I, I love that image. I, I didn't see it the way I didn't see it the way other people have seen it. In other words, I didn't, I didn't put it as the cover and then, but then when I saw it on the, on the, and I didn't know I'd won the series until the, the day of the announcement I knew, and lens culture and there it was. And I saw it in a whole new way. That was very exciting. And I was like, Oh yeah, I can see why people, I can see why lens culture chose that as the cover. <laughs> okay. So they didn't, so you didn't choose it as the cover. They did. They did. Correct. I can see why. Yeah, Especially since you were talking or you were doing a story about a street and it's a photo of the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How was your experience in just submitting to the contest? I mean, how did you even know about it? Uh, two years uh, or was it one year or two years prior? I, I had submitted another series to the Street Photography Awards on Lens Culture um, one year prior. Um, I had been in Paris during the World Cup shooting a, a cinema job, um, non-soccer related, but the World Cup was taking place. And I was, of course, doing my thing when I had time leaving the hotel and going out and photographing. Paris is an amazing city. And and then, of course, I, I, I also love soccer. So we were very excited for the World Cup to be happening. And we're sitting in a cafe during the quarterfinals and France won and the streets erupted. And I, and I had my camera with me, of course, and I realized, oh my, this is, this is incredible. Anyways, it went from the quarterfinals to the semifinals to the finals. And I happened to be there in the entire time and realized that a project was unfolding in front of me. And I shot, a, I shot the celebrations in the street of Paris and I culled those photographs down into 10. And so I had been a finalist in the Lens Culture Street Photography Awards, um, one or two years prior to this. So I was familiar with them um, as a website and I really liked the photographs and photographers they had been promoting and I just found it very stimulating um, in, in website. And, um, and so when 
I was shooting Avenue of Roses, I honestly didn't really know how to, I mean, I, I, I'm not a professional photographer. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't consider myself a professional photographer, but I, that is a, that's a venue I was comfortable with. And so I submitted the images to them and ended up, ended up winning. I hope that answers your question. It sounds. <laughs> no, it does. It does. It's just the whole experience of it. Yeah. Uh, part of it was comfort. I now realize that um, as I've started to talk to people on this, the, the project has gained some exposure that um, the still photography world is a little bit like the independent film world in terms of film festivals. Um, and so you make your projects and you submit them. And so, so I'm, I'm, I'm still learning as I go here and, and it's really, really exciting. Yeah. Well, you're a quick study being in Portland. I have to ask you about this. There's been a lot of unrest in your city. Uh, some interesting things happening with federal officers who appear to be stirring things up. Um, have you been photographing any of that? Are you staying away? Uh, I have been to not, not recently, but early in the, when the protests, um, marches started happening, I, I was going to them. I was not bringing my camera. Um, I feel like it's being documented mm -hmm. by everyone, everyone who's there. It, it just, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't, I, that little voice in my head that I trust what, what wasn't telling me this is something you should go document. But a lot of people around the country have friends and when I've texted me to ask, but no, it hasn't been something that I have documented. I, I do want to say that when I was speaking earlier of, um, of me wanting to get in touch with Portland and Portlanders and build a bridge to, to the city, to, I, like, I felt like there's some kind of, um, I don't know the words here, some kind of gap or some kind of bridge I couldn't cross to talk to other people, maybe people with different opinions or, or different upbringings or different backgrounds. And I, and I wanted to be able to access that when I went to do the Avenue of Roses project. I don't think that was in a vacuum in that I think a lot of people in the country are feeling this and a lot of people are standing up and saying, Hey, we, we, we need to come together as a society and make some changes and find a way to work together. And I think if you really listen to the, what's happening here, and I don't even care what side you're on, we, we need to start talking and finding ways to communicate with people that are different than us that have different opinions than us. And, and um, I mean, that's what Avenue of Roses was, was me, me going into the city to, to see what was going on. And, and I think what's happening now is just a, just many, many steps further than that. People are raising their voices and we need to listen to them. I, I honestly, on both sides. So that's what I think about what's happening in Portland. We try not to be political here, but you know, no matter no matter what your beliefs are, it's always good to be talking to people who are on the other side of it as you. And always good to be to one step further listening. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're all people. We're all Americans yeah. or Canadians or French or whatever. Talk to each other. Get out of the, get out of your bubble. 
I met uh, Americans, but of Asian descent. I talked to numerous, you know, again, Portland's not a very, for a city of its size, size it's relatively not diverse. So, but on, on 82nd, I, you know, I was interacting with all the time, um, Eastern European business owners or, you know, of, of that descent, but the Americans, um, Americans of Chinese descent, black people, uh, business owners, people living in the neighborhood, uh, Eastern European. Um, I, you know, I could just, there's this taco truck I fell in love with where I was eating lunch all the time. And that was owned by this Mexican family. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in Mexico. So, and I speak uh, uh, pretty good Spanish. So I was speaking Spanish to them and became friends with them. I mean, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I, I, you know, I hope they left feeling like they met somebody interesting and I left, I left the same way. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Well, Kevin, what new things are you working on? Uh, work is picking up. So um, the, my commercial work, um, it's a possible narrative project, a film that I'd like to shoot that's getting underway. I'm very excited about the script. I have two still photography projects I'm working on. One of them is, um, uh, and I'd, I'd say more fine art in its focus, um, an exploration of um, this merge between cinema images and still photographs. Um, uh, and, and that's very interesting. But, and, and then I'm trying to figure out how to do a follow-up to Avenue of Roses, but I want to shoot a project in a rural environment, in particular, a small town in Eastern Colorado, because I think it would be, uh, it's a town where my, a small town where my father grew up. And it'd be very interesting to do a project that's rural in opposition to the project that was extremely urban with Avenue of Roses. Um, I, I just, again, I still photography has always been, I, I love it. I care about it deeply, but it's sort of been a sideline for me. So I'm learning now. I'm in a, in a, in a state of learning of how to, you know, get, maybe get a grant or, or um, figure out how do I can make this project happen. And I'm excited to do it. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, that that's a great idea. I've thought about doing that myself uh, on my hometown, which is where my father and my grandfather grew up in Appalachia. Oh, wow. And, and, yeah. and I'm curious because I, here I'm having the same thoughts and I, I imagine a lot of people do. I don't, I don't think these ideas come in a vacuum. So, so how would you do it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know yet. Um, I guess I need to, like you say, come. Up, I have to come up with a with a story, with a narrative, and then figure out how, how I want to shoot it. It's funny. I had been thinking about this for years, and then I happened upon a guy that we featured several years ago in the magazine, and it turns out his wife, he lives was living in New York City. His wife was from my hometown, very small town. I knew her family well. And he was from Scotland originally, and he was fascinated mm -hmm. by the town. And he did amazing documentary work there, things I wouldn't have thought of doing. But he came to it with fresh eyes. And I don't have those because I, I know the town so well. But it was pretty interesting. In, in fact, we used one of his photos of that town on the cover of the magazine that month. I kept thinking, well, gee, why should I go back and do it? Scott already did it, and he did an amazing job. Right. 
but everybody has a new perspective. Yeah, that's right. I shouldn't think like that. Well, I don't think you should think like that. I think just because you've seen something doesn't mean that you can't see it again or that the way you're seeing it isn't interesting. But now the logistical problem, I'm a lot farther away. And you're going to have the same problem shooting in Colorado. I mean, can you, you can't do it justice by going for a weekend, right? No. I, my father, who's home in his late 80s now, still lives somewhat close. So I could stay with him mm-hmm. and do short, short commutes out to eastern Colorado. There, there's a little museum there. Um, and in this tiny little museum in this, honestly, it's a blip of a town, are photographs of my father as a baby and my grandmother and grandfather. So there's these, there's already, there's already these, there's already a photographic history in this place that I'm connected to. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm also thinking like, do I, do I try to get a van or something I can stay in or do I go get a job for a little while and work on a, work on a farm for a little bit and get to know people? I mean, I, I, I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> I'm just not sure how yet. Also, COVID is making travel somewhat limited stuff, so that that's going to have to work itself out a little bit too. But you know what? I, I do want to back up because uh, there was a question I wanted to ask you, and I almost forgot. And you you do a lot of uh, cinematography. Mm-hmm. I mean, how has your experience as a cinematographer affected your still photography? Uh, again, great question. A lot of people ask me this uh, since since this project has gotten some notoriety, uh, and so I've really had to think about it a lot. Uh, I think the well, first of all, there's a big, a, a vast tool of technical knowledge I have having doing this day in and day out, right? And that happens to anybody who's doing it, doing it a lot. And the beauty of that is that you kind of just forget about all the technical things. You, you know them and that you're, you're not second guessing them. They're just second nature. But really what I think has been the biggest help or the, or that's most intertwined is this, is this, a, this kind of training to listen to uh, the voices in your head about what is working in an image and why it's working. And if it's not working, how to fix it on a film set, you know, you can have, 20, 30, 40, 80, 120 people on the crew and you're lighting something and, and you, you need to make it work and you have to do, you know, you have to do 15 setups a day and 30 shots. I mean, you, you learn to be, to, to listen to these voices very quickly so you can hmm. make things work in a very, very fast way. Or if they're not working, you know how to fix them right away. So you ha- you begin to listen to all these this intuition. I don't know the words exactly what this voice is. And so as a still photographer, I think the big training is that I'm listening to those voices as I'm shooting or walking around. And I'm kind of very tuned into when I'm sniffing something out or something's getting interesting. Again, that motel photograph is a perfect example. I'd been there before, but I kind of, and there are some good, I mean, really good images in that area, but they, they weren't this one. And and when that started to happen with the stop sign in the upper left corner, I'm glad you noted that because I kept backing up and getting that in the frame. <laughs> and once that was in the frame, I knew it was perfect. Then the car came over the rise and that was it. And that was all just kind of intuitive. I mean, it was happening in a matter of seconds. Yep. 
Well, you know, I, I didn't mention this earlier, too. The icing on the cake are the birds on top of the one on the sign and one on the building. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't I didn't realize that till I got back. Yeah. Yeah. It would happen too fast. Yeah. And there's a I don't know if you've noticed also in the photograph across the street is a billboard. Uh, have, you, have you noticed that and what it says? <laughs> it's it's a billboard for the humane uh, a more humane society it's obviously for the humane society for for pets but i i just think that's a really fascinating layer to that photograph sure and it adds balance to the to the photo too yeah a little bit of light over there did you do much in post with this o only you know i use lightroom so it's um, a digital dark dark room and um uh, yeah, a little. I mean, I enhanced it a little bit. I don't. I don't try not. I try not to overdo it, but I definitely. I mean, also that comes from filmmaking too. Like, I guess every time I get a job, there's you know we have a lot of conversations about tonality, style, what direction we're going. You know, ref, multiple references on previous films that have been made. What I, I reference still photographers all, all the time. So I'm very interested in style um, as a conversation compared to reality but i also don't want to stretch reality so much that i'm i'm going somewhere that i'm not comfortable with speaking of filmmaker i almost asked another question but i want to get off on a, on a tangent either way i'm happy i was thinking about the third man i love that film and the uh the style um it just uh whatever you talk about style of films that one always comes to mind and I, I i figured that'd be a favorite of yours but let me let me ask you what i was going to ask you well i was thinking about a television show i watched a couple years ago uh, it was endeavor um which is a detective show uh, P, uh, english detective show and there were several scenes where the, the composition of each scene was amazing and the lighting was just so powerful. And I, and I thought, man, as a still photographer, I can sure learn a lot by paying attention to what the filmmakers do because they spend so much time and effort setting up the shot, right? Mm -hmm. um, you make sure it's composed just right, that, the, that the, the tone is just right and the lighting is perfect. Of course, on the street, you just don't have time for any of that. But I think it helps train your mind. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I agree. Uh, I agree. I think that one thing that is different between this is changing a little bit with new cameras, but one thing that's pretty different between cinematography and still photography is in in the motion world, you're 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 getting your you're getting your composition and your framing, and that's it. There's no cropping later. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just the data is not there to be reframing. Not to mention the time and the fact that you're you know you're gonna you'd have hundreds of shots to reframe if you're going to reframe everything not just one so in the motion world you know your your compositions are what they are um and there's a little bit more freedom of that in the still photography world P personally i i try not to crop i try to get the frame the, a frame i want but obviously in street photography there's a lot of <laughs> a lot yeah. of freeform things happening and and so um you know occasionally there's some really weird bright light or something at the edge of the frame that's distracting but the training from motion to 
to be getting the frame you want, telling the story you want with the lighting you want with 60 people or whatever, huge crews, small crews. I mean, you just have to get it right and you have to do it many, many times a day. And, and so, yeah, that training definitely plays over to street photography because you have a sense of where the camera needs to be. And I mean, with my eye, like I, I know what a 24, I mean, this happens to a lot of photographers, but I know exactly what a 24 millimeter lens is just with, by standing on the spot, I pretty mm -hmm. much know what the frame is going to be. And, um, that's just from, that's not any special skill. It's just from doing it so much, so much yeah. or a 35 or a 50, or, you know, I just know where to stand to, and what lens I'm going to use to frame what I think I want to frame. Most of, um, Avenue of Roses was shot with one lens, actually a, a thir 35 millimeter lens. Really? Uh, 99, 98% of it is all one lens. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what camera do you use? The Sony a7R2. Okay which I just love. I've fallen in love with it. That's full frame, right? Correct. Yeah. So that's the same field of view as my Fuji. My X100. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No wonder I like your stuff. <laughs> that, yeah, 24 millimeter lens. It's great. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, just wanted to thank you. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing all this. It's been a excellent learning experience for me. I'm sure it will be for everybody else. Why don't you tell us where people can find your stuff and we'll put a link in the article to the lens culture one. Cause that's probably too long of a URL to read off. <laughs> uh, yeah. The lens culture ha has the work um, up that I've submitted for the street photography awards. There's a new, there's a new project there up there that I just put up that I, I didn't even know I was working on, but I realized I was working on. And, um, and then I have a website, kevinfletcher.net, that has um, my motion work and um, other still projects on it also. A lot of them are just me, you know, like when I shot a job in India um, and stayed a few days and wandered around India, some New York street photography, some, it's, anyways, check it out. And thank you so much for having me. This is, it's really, really, really wonderful to talk to somebody and and think about the process that's happening when you're doing it um i probably should do that more so i appreciate it 